regardless of what direction in life you think you want to go, right, professionally, personally, whatever it is, MIT will support you in that. And that's what I found as a graduate student. Again, I had no expectations about what this place was going to be. Um, I certainly did not know at that time that I was going to be, you know, going into politics. Um, it was something which was in the back of my mind, kind of germinating, but I couldn't say it out loud as an as a aspiration. MIT allows you to do that. And so the one thing that I would, um, would encourage uh, students to do uh, is to explore all of it. Like whatever it is you think you're interested in doing, do it. Welcome to the MIT Catalyst, a podcast series by the MIT Club of Northern California. Each episode, host Julia Yu interviews MIT alumni, faculty, and affiliates who are movers and shakers in the Bay Area. We are so excited here today to have the president of the MIT Alumni Association, Eric Caulfield. Thank you for being here. I'm glad to be here. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself uh, and what you studied at MIT, what year you were, and what inspired your involvement? So uh, I graduated uh, in 0106, uh, master's PhD in course six, electrical engineering and computer science. Um, and the involvement uh, in the alumni association is something that I never could have predicted in a million years when I first uh, set foot on campus as a, a cocky a course six uh, graduate student first year, uh, because that wasn't what I expected when I got to campus. Uh, the idea was that I was going to come to MIT. It was a great technical university. I was going to get beat up in the classroom, in the lab, and, and get tougher as a result, and then come out of it as a highly trained, effective research engineer. And that was all I expected to get from MIT. And it changed pretty quickly um, through some of the folks that I met, the clubs in which I got involved. When I got involved in student government, that changed everything. And um, as a result of that, and really coming from an advocacy kind of background, uh, when it came time to graduate, the question was, what, what was I going to do next? And I was fortunate enough to be um, elected as a recent graduate member of the corporation. And to me, that wasn't really volunteering because I was just doing stuff with MIT. And I liked doing stuff with MIT. I liked the people. Um, and I didn't realize much later that that was actually, you know, being volunteer kinds of stuff. And there were committees that I was serving on. And these were alumni association committees. I didn't even know it. And so much later, when it came time to get involved with the board and everything, then that's when I realized, oh, okay, I'm, I'm part of the alumni association and it's cool. What was the sticking factor for you? Was there a moment where you said, hey, I want to keep doing things and going back and contributing to MIT? I think what, what really did it, at least for me, um, was I realized at some point after my service on the board, and I had been on the corporation for years at that point, and, you know, and had a sense of what I thought MIT meant, right? Um, when you're a student, uh, a student leader, that's one perspective. Even when you're on the corporation, that's one perspective. But when you get in the alumni association, then you have a true sense of the entire community, right? It's not just the 10,000 people that are on campus. It's not just the, you know, the students, not the faculty, not the staff, but it's this entire 140,000 people all over the world. And you think about who those folks are, right? Even just on this trip, I've had a chance to meet with entrepreneurs um, and who just have amazing ideas for things that they're doing. And it was in that moment that you really realize that MIT is global, right? And it's historic potentially in the impact that it can have, um, not just on our community uh, of alumni and alumnae, not just on the MIT community, but indeed on the world. And by extension, what that means 
uh, is the impact that we as a community can have on history itself. And I think for me, in, in you know, just when I found out that I had been selected to be president of the Alumni Association and I was trying to think about what it is we focus on uh, during the year, I had that realization. And it wasn't an idea that I'd had. It's something that, you know, uh, that MIT was thinking about doing. I know it's something that was on Whitney Espick, the CEO's mind as well. And for that all to be able to come together and to be a part of the association right now when we're asking, you know, a question which in any other time with any other group might seem a little bit absurd. But for our community right now, because service is in our DNA, hard problems is in our DNA. And so when we ask the question, what can we do to make a better world, right, that's the vision statement for the association, um, to engage and inspire the global MIT community to make a better world. Um, that, for me, is when I really realized, like, we have a chance to do something special. That's wonderful. And the Better World campaign has just been uh, so inspiring and in how global it's rolled out across all of the alumni clubs. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your vision and your presidency and kind of what are those big rocks that you hope to uh, make your mark on? I'm glad that you mentioned uh, about the, the Better World campaign, right? Because most people, when they think of Better World, that's the first thing that comes to mind. It's, it's the capital campaign. Uh, it's making an investment, uh, a financial one. Uh, in MIT because of the work that we do uh, for the rest of the world. But when we think about Better World as an alumni association, we're talking about the 140,000 alumni plus all of our friends. How do we activate that network? How do we coordinate that network? How do we bring that network together to do even more awesome things in the world, right? So whether it is thinking about ways to improve access to STEM education for middle school kids, right? That's something that alums are doing all over the world. Whether it's writing policy in governments all over the world, that's a service uh, to the world. Whether it's helping alums and others to start companies, that also is making a better world. Whether it's doing research around, you know, curing diseases that are hard, all of those are, are things that we're trying to figure out how can we better coordinate alums to be able to do that even more. So. To me, in better world, that's what we're thinking about. The other part is focusing on graduate student alums. Uh, of course, graduate student alums are now 53, 54% of the entire community and growing. And so as MIT, we're trying to think about how we can engage that community in a way that no other university uh, in America has been doing. It's a, you know, it's a community that a lot of uh, institutions um, spend less time but uh, on which they spend less time. But we feel like there's an opportunity because it's so big and because it's growing and because it's so dynamic to really engage that, that community. And we're also looking at how we can engage with what people commonly refer to as students. We like to think of them as proto-alums uh, because for as awesome um, as the MIT on-campus experience is, the, the truth is that when people graduate, they'll be alums much, much, much longer than they were ever students. And that community is much, much bigger than even the student community. And so we're thinking about how we can be of service and engage people who are going to be in, um, with us for the rest of their lives. And, um, and so there's some really exciting programming around that. So those are really, you know, kind of the three things around Better World, um, engagement with uh, graduate student alums, and then engagement with current students are really uh, big focus areas for us this year. So you've seen MIT through different lenses. Uh, personally, I have seen, uh, I went to Sloan and I went to undergrad there. So I saw it through two different lenses there. But now that you're the president of this amazing global body of alumni, 
What has been your biggest surprise so far and how has it changed or not changed your perspective? I think probably the 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 biggest surprise and it's something maybe that, you know, you you realize um intellectually is that our community is made up of amazing people. Um, you know, you, you think about, oh, there's, there's great scientists and great engineers and great mathematicians and, and all that's true. And then you sit and you meet them and they're regular people, right? And they just very casually talk about the awesome things that they're doing and it's every day to them, right? And so in some sense, I, I think I've, I've been, that's made a, a huge impression on me, just being out in the community so much more because of the role. You get to see more of it and know more of it. And also you, you get the sense of just how immense our organization is. What have your uh, impressions been of the MIT Club of Northern California so far? Well, let me tell you about the Club of, of, of Northern California. And first, I just want to start out by giving a massive mega big ups to that extraordinary group of MIT citizen visionaries. They are amazing. Uh, even before I became uh, president, I knew about the Club of Northern California. I had a, a, just a, a, what, what I've discovered is a smidging uh, of, of an idea of the kinds of things uh, that they do on a regular basis. And I've, you know, was always looking forward to coming out and visiting with the club. And, and because this is my first visit, I've been trying to get here for years, literally. And I'm really excited to be here. But when I think about literally just the scale um, and the professionalism with which they operate and the, and the community uh, that is as rich and dynamic as it is here. It's just really impressive. Um, and I know that the club uh, really serves as an example for a lot of, of other groups, um, um, MIT groups that are thinking about how they can innovate, how they can uh, draw folks in uh, and, and to create something that's really powerful. And you know, being able to see it from afar is amazing, but even in, in getting ready for this trip to find out more about what the club is doing, the scale of it is just extraordinary. It really is. And so when we talk about three events happening somewhere in the world all the time, I'd imagine that probably, you know, some of those are going to be Club of Northern California over and over. Yeah. And I know just personally, it's been pivotal in my transition from uh, coming from Boston to San Francisco. And I really felt like uh, there, there's just so many uh, MIT people out here that I just felt like this is the second Boston. Yeah, it, it is. It is extraordinary, even from the part that I've seen, um, which I know is, is only, you know, just just a, a fraction of what goes on. So one thing we have in common is you are at the White House. I, yes, that is true. That is true. I, 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 that's true. Yes. <laughs> um, can you just tell us a little bit more? I was there from 2010 to 2012 we under overlapped. the Council of Economic Advisors. Really? Okay. I think I, I, we, we were probably in the EEOB at the same yes. time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yes. So I was a, a White House fellow in the class of 2010 to 2011. And um, a lot of what I did uh, as part of the Domestic Policy Council around, was around urban policy development, specifically economic development in low-income areas. And so um, the interesting thing about that is that, that I can draw a straight line from being able to go and to work for the Obama White House to my time at MIT. Uh, there was a, I had a conversation with um, a special assistant to the president at that time, Kirk Kohlenbrander, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to go into politics and policy, and I was looking at different fellowships. I didn't even know about the White House Fellows Program at that time. Um, and he was said, well, all of that sounds really good that you're talking about, but I, what I really think you need to do is this White House Fellowship. And I'm like, what is that, Kirk? <laughs> and so he told me about it. And so that then became part of what I'd hoped to do um, after I'd worked for a little bit. That experience, I don't know that it, I would have even known about it and certainly wouldn't have, wouldn't have been able to go. Uh, but for 
um, the support that I had from from folks in the community. And so, it, and it was a, a life changing experience. There's just no two ways about it. It was definitely a whirlwind because 2010 was just coming out of the trough of yeah, the right. of the recession. So that was certainly. Um, a memorable time. Yeah, especially to be doing economic development kinds of things. Absolutely. It was every day is a fire drill. Oh, my goodness. Like an episode of West Wing in real life. <laughs> yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about your involvement when you were at MIT, like what clubs you were in, and what advice you have for students who are listening in how to maximize their experience while they're still at the wonderful institution? Yeah, and I'm, I, I, that is a, a wonderful question because one of the things uh, that I will say to any college student anywhere, especially MIT students, is regardless of what direction in life you think you want to go, right, professionally, personally, whatever it is, MIT will support you in that. And that's what I found as a graduate student. Again, I had no expectations about what this place was going to be. Um, I certainly did not know at that time that I was going to be, you know, going into politics. Um, it was something which was in the back of my mind, kind of germinating, but I couldn't say it out loud as an as a aspiration. MIT allows you to do that. And so the one thing that I would, um, would encourage uh, students to do uh, is to explore all of it. Like whatever it is you think you're interested in doing, do it. And, and, there, and find people who will support you because they will. Uh, when I first got to campus... Again, I didn't plan on getting involved in any of this stuff. I started out actually on my dorm student government, and that's because I liked Tang Hall, and I didn't, you know, I wanted to, to stay there. And if you were on the government, then you could stay, right? At the time, like the, it was a you know kind of a, a high rise, and the the, the first year graduate student stayed uh, stayed there, and so I liked the community. I wanted to stay, and so got involved in government. Didn't intend to do that at all. Um, but that really became the first, you know, community that I had. And then very shortly afterwards, I mean, I was also involved in the Black Graduate Students Association from when I first got there and then got involved in some of the leadership um, there. One of the things, you know, there was there's an Ebony Affair, which we have every year, which is kind of the cultural um, showcase from a number of different groups on campus. And my experience at the first one as a at that point, one semester under my belt, a graduate student really you know, gave me a sense of of um, of what the place could be, um, and and the fact that I could do quite well there, right? And that I had a you know not only that I that I had a community that was going to be supportive is a better way to put it, and that actually ended up leading me into into leadership in that organization because I wanted to create that same experience for new folks like me when we were coming, and so at this point I'm like, oh okay, this is you know a lot happening, and then I hear about this graduate student council people, right? And so I hear them arguing about, oh, we need more stipends for the graduate students. And I'm like, yeah, they're doing advocacy stuff. And so that's, ex- I'm, I'm excited about that. But I didn't really see it as something accessible to me because I didn't come there for it. That wasn't, you know, I didn't see myself as, until some of the officers came and said, hey, would you like to be a part of orientation? And my friend and I, who were very social people and we do social events, um, and we get to do three dozen social events in two weeks. For, and meet a whole bunch of people. Yeah, well, sign us up for that. I take it you're a E. You're an extrovert. Ironically, I am actually an I. Oh wow. Yeah. You're yeah. an extroverted introvert. That is true. Yep. I, I am. I am. Most people assume that I'm an extrovert, um, but I'm actually definitively an introvert. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like exercise, right? You love it, and you 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 know you get there's a euphoric about it, but then you're kind of exhausted afterwards. Um, but um, 
Yeah. And so getting involved with, with GSC and eventually um, becoming president there. And then that that is kind of what, you know, then I was kind of on the path. And I'm like, this MIT is, is, a, is, is a special place and I want to continue to be involved in it. And then that's what, you know, led to the corporation, led to um, Alumni Association and presidency. But what I would just advise for any student who's coming through the place is explore it. You know, do something that you never thought um, that you'd be interested in doing. Or even if you have this, this small voice uh, that's in the back of your mind saying, how about this? Do it. I agree with you how, um, how transformative MIT is and how nurturing it is to everyone's unique passions. And I think it's, you have a unique path because uh, when people think of MIT, you don't really traditionally think of it as you know, going into uh, public service or a government or yeah. some type of leadership role that isn't highly technical. That's right. Uh, so uh, I'd love to hear what you think about how the training at MIT has equipped you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because you hit it right on the head. Right. Like literally, you know, and, and, I, and I'm an advocate for this. I'm a proselytizer uh, for, you know, for for public sector service, whether it's elected office, whether it's policy development, um, whether it's nonprofit leadership like or, or service of any kind. Um, and, and MIT supports all of that. Right. Um, I felt, you know, like just empowered to do that in a real kind of way. Uh, one of the good things about having a technical um, education is that you have a solid, quant, you know, quantitative way of thinking, right? There's a certain logic and rigor that comes with it. Um, you want things to, to make sense in a rigorous kind of way. And I think having that underpinning uh, is good. And also just, you know, the, the, the academic toughness that comes with a place like MIT, you got to be tough to get through it. Um, and just the discipline um, and perseverance and persistence that you learn um, in that kind of education, in and of itself, is good. It, that's almost like just the intellectual and emotional calisthenics that allows you to then get on the field and play the sport that you love, right? Whatever that is, whether it's law, whether it is um, engineering, whether it's entrepreneurship, you just build the mental and emotional muscles to be able to do it. And MIT does that for whatever it is that you want to do. I think you hit on an important point that I think a theme of MIT, whether it's the faculty, undergrad or graduate students, is there, there's a grittiness, right? Oh, yeah. You got you to be tough <laughs> and you got to have its mental and emotional, physical. It's all aspects all of, of it. it. Yeah. And I think that that is that will help you in anything yeah. in life, right? So I think that's very special. Yeah. And I always think, you know, it's one of those, you always think uh, military kinds of analogies, right? If, if you are a Navy SEAL, right, you can run for miles and miles and miles. You can swim for miles and miles and miles. Uh, you can do push-ups and sit-ups and you can jump and do all these kinds of things. You are a, a you know, uh, and, and everything that comes with that. So even if you never pick up a rifle in your entire life, you're in good shape to be able to, if you want to do football or do some other kind of physical sport, like you have, you know, the, the, the tools that you need to be able to do it just from the physical and, and emotional kinds of things. And I think MIT is that same way. It gets you really strong in a lot of ways. And then it's just you decide what sport you want to play after that. What? advice do you have for budding entrepreneurs who, um, you know, that's a core part of our audience who are out here in Silicon Valley here to innovate, here to make their dreams a reality? What words of wisdom could you impart on on them? When I think about budding entrepreneurs, and actually we literally, um, uh, Danielle and I just came from having a meeting with with, uh, with, with, uh, one of the entrepreneurs here, Joy Okuta, right? And she is starting a company 
Um, and I just think about her and the same advice that I would give, you know, I, I, my company just turned six uh, in December. Um, the good thing about this place is that there is such a rich community. It's, it's a lot of people that are here who are entrepreneurial, uh, both from MIT and not, right? Um, the only thing that I would say is if you have an idea and you believe in it, just do it, right? You know, sometimes they're easier than others, right, just because, because of your particular life circumstances. But I think for, um, for people, the advice that I would give is if you have an idea, find other people who've done it, talk to them first, um, is always a good thing. Um, you know, they can tell you a lot. Read as much as you can about it. Make sure that whatever it is that you're, that you're selling, that you've done strong market research to make sure that there is a market. Um, oftentimes when you have a good idea, you think it's a great idea, and it's a great idea, but the question is how many other people think it's a great idea, right? Um, and so I think, you know, doing solid market research is a good thing. Um, and then, you know, the biggest part of it is like you, you alluded to it earlier, just having the grit to stick it out, right? You think about people um, who, are, who are legends today, right? The question is how much money did Amazon make in year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, year six? Zero, right? Um, and, you know, a lot of times it's just being able to stick it out and believe in what you're doing after you've, you know, after you've done all your research, after you've talked to everyone, after you've read everything, and you're, and you're convinced within your heart of hearts that it is the right thing, just dog it out, you know. And also, you know, you have to be nimble, right, to uh, change uh, and adapt if you need to. You don't want to be dogmatic or fixed-minded in a thing. But if you believe in it, there's a certain amount of persistent, persistence that you have to have just to drive it all the way through until it works. Um, because oftentimes it becomes obvious that it was going to work in retrospect, right? I was watching a, um, uh, a documentary on television about some of the, the you know, the great uh, companies, um, you know, whether it's Hershey's, right, or Kellogg, right? Um, these are folks who nobody believed them in the beginning. And it wasn't obvious that the market that they were trying to create was going to work, but they believed in it and, and just doggedly pushed it through when nobody else did. And now these are, you know, some of the great institutions um, financially in our country. And so I think, you know, I think those are probably things that I would think about, um, not being a titan of industry yet of myself. <laughs> Thank you. That's great advice. And uh, last but not least, what is your secret sauce? What is your entrepreneurial secret sauce? Oh, um, well, I, I don't know that, that, that I have created a dish which is uh, so irresistibly succulent as to uh, lay claim to having a sauce that's secret that makes it such. Um, but perhaps I'll answer a different question. Why is my company doing what it does, right? I think you have to love it, right? Day to day um, and in, in the moment and beyond, I think is, is important. You have to love the day-to-day, whatever it is, whether it's, if you, you know, if your thing is making spreadsheets or if your thing is designing circuits, right, if it's writing code or if it's putting together financial models for your nonprofit, right, or if it's thinking about law, right, or if it's thinking about the curriculum for your high school or middle school students that you're teaching, right, or if it's thinking about the science that you do or, you know, looking at whether it's your, you know, it, whatever it is, the day-to-day, you have to love that. Um, because if it's draining for you, regardless of what the end goal is, over time, it, it'll just drain you out. You have to love the day-to-day. And so for me, putting together a spreadsheet to figure out the financial model that will allow this policy to create more jobs for people or to create more opportunities for people, like, I like doing that. And I like the outcome that it's going to have. And so I think 
Finding something allows you to do the things that you like every day and to accomplish the things that you believe in over years, I think is the combination um, that drives. Some people, you know, in, um, for example, in, in politics, right? And I think it, regardless of what your orientation is, go into politics because, you know, there's some goal that they're trying to achieve. But they don't actually like the give and take of it. They don't like the policy development part of it. Um, they don't like the other parts of it. And so in the end, they may not actually accomplish as much because the day-to-day they can't get through it because it grinds them down. But if you believe in what you're doing because the goal is noble, because the end um, uh, is, is, is a society or a policy that we want to create, but the day-to-day job of slogging it out, of doing the intellectual hard work of figuring out how do we make it work. I and mean, you know this from working in the White House, right? Like literally figuring out solving the problem, enjoying that process, and then believing in what you're doing towards the end. If you put that together, it's hard to stop somebody who is that way um, because you can create a good thing. You have to be able to sustain it and persist, and you do that by doing things day-to-day and you're driven by the longer-term goal of what you believe. And so I think those two things, I think, are critical. All the rest of it, um, you know, you, you know, oftentimes folks will say, what's the key to leadership or success, right? It's, you don't have to be the smartest person, right? You don't have to be, um, you know, the best-looking person, right? You don't have to be the most charming person, right? But if you have, um, you know, ambition, right, if you have resilience, and you have the guts to do what you think is the right thing, um, if you apply that to your company, if you apply that to your job and your career, it's hard not to be successful over time. There we go. Eric Caulfield's secret sauce. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's more like a roux because I'm, I'm from South Louisiana, <laughs> so it's, it's more like a, it's, it's a roux. It may, it may actually be a gravy. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sophisticated. Eric's secret gravy. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the MIT Catalysts. This episode was hosted by Julia Yu and produced by me, Irina Fisher-Huang. Special thanks to our guest, Eric Caulfield, for taking the time to chat with us. Caulfield's term as the 125th president of the MIT Alumni Association comes to a close this summer, and we loved having the chance to sit down with him to hear about his journey with the association. Thanks also to the MIT Alumni Association staff and its board of directors. Without them, the magic of the association simply wouldn't be possible. Finally, thanks to the MIT Club of Northern California, which sponsors this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you like it, please share widely with friends and family, or even leave us a review. Until next time, we're the MIT Catalysts.